Hello, I'm Dave Brisky, and I'd like to welcome you to the second episode of Brisky Business. Thank you for making me part of your day. The goal of the platform is to offer all of you strategies to accelerate business opportunities while avoiding common traps along the path toward your success. It's a forum where tips and tidbits are shared to help demystify the business process, including the stock market. And it's also a place where mentorship is not only discussed, it's encouraged. This is a safe zone where we measure reward and risk without being reckless. So grab a notebook if you want to jot down some notes, maybe make some questions in the margin of your notebook on questions you might have. Uh, and send those questions to briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. That's entvusa.com. And I'll answer some of the most asked questions and maybe some of the most intriguing ones on the next program. So during the last broadcast, you learned a little bit about my business background. And if you missed it, go back to the NTV USA app and take a look. My belief is that wisdom is created from failure. And that was discussed on the last program. I've made a ton of mistakes. And in fact, in those mistakes, I believe is where wisdom comes from. So fail a lot, but don't make the same mistake twice. Each segment's gonna be broken down into four different segments. So each show will have four segments. And uh, back in the day, and even today, Simply put, my friends call me Brisk. So I'm hoping to forge a friendship with all of you, so I name those four segments after my nickname, Brisk. There's Brisk's Business Basics, which is the foundational business principles. There's Brisk's Buy or Bail, which is evaluating business opportunities. And Brisk's Bulls and Bears, and this is all about the public markets. And Brisk's Best and Brightest, which is frankly my favorite part of the program, which is all about mentorship. So let's do this. Take a deep breath, grab a cup of your favorite coffee, and let's get started. So last week in Brisk Business Basics, questions came pouring in about a comment I made regarding business plans. And what I said was, if you can't write it down, it can't be done. And apparently that jolted some of your brains to ask a bunch of questions. And what I meant by that, and a lot of you thought that that was really not true. The idea was good enough in your head. So what did I mean by, if you couldn't write it down, it can't be done? Let me start by telling you a story. The story of a coffee company that we started called Javolution Coffee. Javolution was the first fortified coffee. What did that mean? That was a coffee that was made with vitamins and, and coffee together. It was, it was blending coffee. It was right around the time of the Sobe tea and vitamin water, which was really, really blowing up in our economy. And some gentlemen visited me about this exciting opportunity they have to make the first fortified coffee. And it was going to be incredible. And it was going to have vitamins in it. And some coffees were going to have calcium in it. And it was going to be absolutely amazing. And that's where they're story began. And man, it sounded really good. And so then I started asking some questions. I asked them, well, tell me about your plan. And they said, well, that is the plan. We're going fortified coffee. It's going to be just like vitamin water and Sobe teas. And they're blowing up, so we're going to blow up. Next question, well, vitamin water and Sobe teas are ready to drink products that sit on the shelves. Your coffee is ground. How does it survive? So I started asking a series of questions. The number one question is, how does it make money? 
How are you going to distribute it? If your idea, you can't figure out how it's going to make money, then it's just an idea. So I thought, what a great time to tell you about how to write it down and what a real business plan looks like if you want to have success with one of your ideas. If you're ready to launch in the business with some very cool idea that you're so excited about, let's bring you back to earth and let you know what you have to do to make that exciting idea actually make money. Because if you can't make a business idea make money, frankly speaking, nobody really cares about it in the long run. So where do you start? It's very interesting. Every time you see a business plan, you'll see a summary or some it's an executive summary. And the funny thing is, and I agree with the SBA, isn't that great that the SBA, the Small Business Association, is telling you that you should write your executive summary last? Funny enough, most people write their executive summary first. That's what the gentleman that I met with did. They had this great idea, but they didn't know how to execute it. And I like that idea. You need to have an executive summary, but you shouldn't write it until you finish the entire business plan and then come back to it. So where do you start? Well, a good place to start is company description. What's the product? What's my target market? What is my product? Uh, Where's it going to live? Is it a product or maybe even a service? So we better start off with a description of what that product or service is going to be. The very next piece is the market analysis. Wow. If you don't get this right, you don't really have a business plan. What is the market analysis? What market am I going after? What is the size of the market? What is the data that tells me that the market is big enough? What are the statistics in terms of the size of the market? How big is the, the market? What is my competition necessarily in that market? Is all market analysis. Market analysis is research, research, research. You better know the market you're going after and who's in there. Now, I'll give you a good example of this. As you know, I'm a president and CFO of a company called Longevity, and we trade on the NASDAQ under YGYI. We started in the hemp business. We have a hemp company. Wow, there's a new market. That is really, really difficult to do a market analysis on because the market really didn't exist. So what do you do? You're going to have to make some forecasts, but you still better know your market analysis. You still better get some industry data, and you better understand everything about that industry before you enter into it. So after you get your market analysis figured out, then you move on to competitive analysis. Are there competition in the market? On the example I gave you on the hemp enterprise, what was the competition? Everyone was new, so it was difficult to do a competitive analysis. But you still better figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are in entering that market. There are some early adopters there. What were they doing? How big are the competitors? How well financed are the competitors? This is what's critical in the competitive analysis. And do you have a competitive advantage? Because at the end of the day, if someone is going to buy your product, you're going to need to have a reason for them to buy it. You're going to need to be able to discuss why your product is better. And without that competitive analysis, that's going to be pretty difficult. Who are your competitors? How strong are they? What are their strengths and weaknesses? How can you exploit their weaknesses? And then what can you do to develop a product that exploits them even more? And then what are the strengths of your product that allows it to exist in the marketplace and take over in the marketplace and be number one? Once you have this figured out, you always need to know who you're going to battle with. So who is your team? Who are your managers and what does your staff look like? Those early decisions are critical. Who are you going to run with? 
who can you count on? Who can work that 24-7 like you're willing to work on this idea that you're so passionate about? So you've got to have that early team ready to go and ramp up and make stuff happen. So once you have that, now we get into some really fun and interesting stuff. The product and the service. Okay, what are we going to do with our product or our service? How are we rolling it out? We think we have a product. What is our supply chain? Where are we sourcing it from? What are our costs? What are the minimum order quantities? What are all of those pieces you have to deliver a market or a product to the market or to a service to the market? You have to do a complete pricing analysis of what your competition is doing. All this must be written down. You need to understand your margin structure. If you understand what your costs are, what are you selling it for? And can you make money selling it at that price? Can you compete in the market? The product and services piece of this is such a critical piece. And it just perplexes me how many people are ready to jump into a project because they're so excited about their idea because the product is so cool. I go back to the Javolution coffee example. Javolution coffee was a cool idea. My goodness, taking coffee and making it simple to put vitamins in with it, that is a really cool idea. But what did it cost? And since it had to exist and be marketed on a coffee shelf, how did that price compare to the other coffees on that shelf? And that was one of the Achilles heels of the Javolution coffee project. When the consumer was walking through the aisle, it would see this product that was priced way higher than other coffee products and the consumer would just walk right by. So what was the strategy to prevent that? How are you going to get the word out on that product that now was priced much higher than any other coffee product? Would that coffee project, would that coffee product be able to exist at that price point? And if so, how are you going to market it? So these are the things you need to explore on product and services. And then, of course, what's your sales strategy? And most people that are new, they say, well, we're just going to sell it. How? How are you going to sell it? Are you going to sell it at wholesale? Are you going to sell it to retailers? Are you going to build out your own stores and sell it in your own stores? Are you going to sell it online? Are you going to partner with Amazon and sell it? And if you do partner with Amazon to sell it, do you know how Amazon's business model works? Do you know how much they charge you to be on an Amazon store? Do you understand all of that? And is it built in your cost structure and your sales strategy and your pricing strategy? And then what's your budget, right? What is your budget here? Maybe you want to budget an inside sales team. That's a way to sell a product. You're going to have an inside team do outbound calls, or maybe you're going to use reps right? Manufacturer reps, coast to coast. Maybe I'm going to have reps in four quadrants. Maybe I'm going to have reps in every, uh, every state in the union. I don't really know yet, but this better be written down and you better understand it. And then how much are you going to pay those reps to entice them? What is going to be their commission? Wow, sales strategy is really critical. Generally, when I get into a conversation, when I ask someone new and a new entrepreneur, they're like, wow, that's a lot to think about. Yeah, it is a lot to think about. And we're just talking about the sales strategy. We haven't even got to marketing strategy. And those two have to be linked up. What is your marketing strategy? And most people think marketing and sales are the same thing. Oh, my God, they aren't anything but the same thing. The marketing strategy is how to get your product to the potential clients. How do you get in front of them? How do you get the word out? 
And you better have your budget figured out on your marketing strategy. What is your marketing strategy? Are you going to use social influencers? Are you going to use social media? Are you going to use advertising? Are you going to use billboards? Are you going to use radio? Are you going to use TV? How are you going to do it? How are you going to get people to know who you are? Are you going to get celebrity endorsements? You can go on and on with this, but you better have your budget figured out and what your cost structure is to market your product. Very, very critical piece is your marketing strategy. Okay, so what is the next piece? The next piece is your financial projections. You got a sales strategy, marketing strategy, you got the product pricing, all of that. Now you've got to build a financial projection. That financial projection needs to know when your product's going to launch. It needs to have your team's costs built in. It needs to have your rent. It needs to have your product costs built into it. All of that must be in your financial projections. And now you've got this beautiful package. It's amazing. It's all written down. Everything's written down but the executive summary, right? You've got a really good plan, and now you step back and look at it, and you now that you've written everything down, and we said if you can't write it down, it can't be done, now you know all of the costs. How are you going to fund it? Now you know how much money you need, and then you get to go to work funding that project, knowing what you need for marketing, knowing what you need for sales, and now you're ready to launch and have a successful business launch. And once you write that funding piece, you go back and write that executive summary, and when people read that executive summary and the confidence you're gonna have in it, you're gonna kill it, because you know you got a plan that's well-financed, ready to go, and ready to bring to market, and you're gonna win. So now we're on to Brisk's buy or bail. Last week, during episode one, we discussed evaluating the opportunity, the Ben Franklin, the SWOT analysis, which is strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. Got a whole piece on that. Go back and check it out in episode one, and you can get caught up to the program. This week, we're going to talk about an actual business venture that we did and we executed and announced just last week. So it's a venture I'm really, really excited about. And the reason why I'm so excited about it is I love vertical plays. I love vertical plays. In fact, my whole career has been built on vertical markets. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand what vertical markets, or if they do, they don't necessarily understand how I like to do vertical plays. So vertical is essentially when you go from a source, let's say if you're in the coffee business, from the field all the way to the grocery store where your product lives on the shelf and you control every part of that process. That's what vertical is. And a lot of folks thinks that vertical can be very, very high risk. And in some ways it can be risky, but the way I like to do vertical markets takes the risk out of being vertical and gives you absolute power and, and uh, helps you maximize margins, control distribution, and be able to compete over a long period of time. So we're gonna talk about a deal we did that made us uh, go more vertical in the hemp space. So we're gonna chat about that. But let's talk a little bit about vertical, a little more about it to make sure you have a grasp and an understanding about vertical. So uh, back in my early career, we built the first westernized factory in Shenzhen, China. Okay, we literally spun cotton into yarn. Uh, obviously, this was a sewing pro project or a sewing factory, and we made headwear. So we controlled every piece of the process, all the way from cotton 
all the way to a baseball cap you might see on a retail shelf, including all of the embroidery and decorating of the product. It gave us incredible pricing advantages and allowed us to compete very nicely. Then we talked about our coffee business. And our coffee business here at uh, Longevity at YGYI is field to finish. We take coffee at the field level and go all the way out to the cup. We control every piece of it. But here's where being vertical differs for us and where I believe people make big mistakes when they go vertical on a project. One problem you have or the challenge you have if you totally commit to being vertical is now the entire company and the factories that you're using rely just on the end seller of the product. That's where I get very nervous about being vertical. What I like to do is make sure that we have vertical elements of a project, but we don't necessarily have to rely on every piece of it uh, uh, on the sales channel. So how do we do that? Here at Longevity, our, we own our own plantation. The plantation we own is just a thousand acres. That a thousand acre plantation, we could use all of that coffee at our roasting operation here in Miami, Florida. So we have no risk of not being able to use that product. Meanwhile, we started a green coffee distribution business. That distribution business now is doing 50 million pounds of coffee. Obviously, our roasting operation cannot use 50 million pounds of coffee, but that part of the business model sells to many, many other users of coffee. So in our vertical model, we make sure that each piece along the way is not necessarily dependent on the other, but can leverage its profitability by utilizing the other. So not dependency, benefits, and that's our vertical operation. So. This, uh, this week, a deal I'm really excited about, we did a joint venture to go vertical on hemp. And I believe that creates the first opportunity or the first company that actually goes completely vertical in the hemp space. And what I love about this deal is we're leveraging our other capabilities and other core companies in the business. So we, make, we grow coffee in Nicaragua. So we were able to negotiate a license agreement in Nicaragua where we are the exclusive grower of hemp products in Nicaragua. And we formed a partnership, a three-way partnership. This partnership is very intriguing. We have 2,200 acres of land that one of our partners owned in this partnership, and that was valued at about $10 million, okay? We then moved to the second piece of the partnership, was the, which was the funding source, the Nika Hemp Authority. They were willing to put up $20 million to build the infrastructure on this project. So we have a, we have a 2,200 acre, acre tract of land and a 45,000 45, square feet of infrastructure greenhouses, and we're leveling and getting ready to grow 2,200 acres. Think about that amount of grow that we have, and that's about $20 million contribution. We're contributing our know-how. We're contributing the extraction equipment that we have in our hemp enterprises called Chrysos Industries. Think of how interesting that is. We've leveraged the relationships of our coffee business, the know-how of our hemp business, to now go completely vertical and in hemp enterprise, which to my knowledge has not yet been done uh, in this market. So think about the value on that. We've got a piece of land that has an appraised value of $10 million. We have a $20 million capital contribution among our partner. So now we've got a $30 million project 
In that project, we own 50% of the infrastructure. So think about the negotiation of this project. Think about what we were going when we were talking about should we buy or bail on this project. We've got $10 million of land. We've got $20 million of capital. We now have a $30 million asset. And we, the public company, owns 50% of it. That's $15 million of value that we already have in the project. That's really good for your balance sheet. Now let's think of the next piece. What did we have to give to get that? What we did is we issued 1,500 shares of stock to the partnership. 1,500 shares of stock to the partnership. That's valued at $2.4 million. Well, think about it. We've already got asset value at completion of $15 million. And we're only putting up $2.4 million of stock. That's a pretty good investment. If you think about it, if you only issued the 1,500 shares of stock, the market value of the stock on that day would be the equivalent of $10 per share. Well, our share value is currently trading at $1.60. So that looks pretty good. So what's the catch? There is no catch. We also issued 5 million stock options valued at $1.50. So let's think about that for a second. We've got 1,500 shares of our stock and 5 million stock options at $1.50. Well, how interesting are stock options? With the stock options, the issuer, or were the issuer, when they get executed, they'll have to write a check at $1.50 times 5 million. So what does that do? That gives us an additional $7.5 million of cash coming into our company. Think about that. We've got a $15 million asset, and now if the option gets exercised, which we know it will, that's another $7.5 million. So we bring in $22.5 million, $22 million of value into our company for 6,500 shares of stock, 1,500 shares of stock, and the execution of the 5 million options. Even at that price, you'd have to value the stock at $3.50, and our stock was trading at $1.60. Those are the type of deals I like to look for. So just on asset value, we've got great coverage. But here's the, the kicker on this deal and why I think it makes a lot of sense and why when it came to buy or bail, we said buy, because we own 75% of the profits that are come out of that enterprise, and our partners will get the other 25%. So there's nice upside in it as well. So the brisk buyer bail segment, last week, one of the things you said is, I really like when you bring in real life information, stuff that's actually happened in the marketplace. This is a great buyer bail scenario. And I think it helps you understand how a decision can be made, what are all the, the partners getting, what is the investment from the company, what is the value of the stock that's being contributed, how much capital is coming back into the company, and then what percentage of the profit can you get on an ongoing basis. And we went ahead and we said buy on this deal. And we're very, very excited for the future that it's going to bring to our company.